Hello and welcome to Chinese Revolutions, a podcast about how China came to be the way that it is today, looking at modern Chinese history through the lens of revolutionary movements starting in 1839 working forward to the present day. I am your host, Nathan Bennett. I lived in China for seven years, and for me, this podcast is a sort of love letter and farewell letter to that country. Well, we're back after a number of weeks. Uh, the beginning announcements, um, support for free by rating and reviewing on all platforms, share with your friends. Um, if you'd like to support monetarily, please go to buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast, chineserevolutions.substack.com. I don't know what I'll do with the substack, but that does exist. Chinese Revolutions at gmail.com. Uh, send me an email. I've been out for a number of weeks because, uh, for one thing, I'm doing a tech boot camp and I had a part time job. I dropped the part time job to focus more on studying, but that also means that I have more time to work on this podcast. Uh, a renewal of hosting is coming up soon. Um, I get a lot of um, a lot of podcasts that I listen to get enough income for the authors to basically live off of it. I have no ads. I will not hit you with ads. You will not have to skip through portions of my podcast. I do this as a hobby, personal project, kind of gift to the world kind of thing. Like it's, um, if I feel like it should be done, I'm going to just do it. Um, the, the podcast is not professional and it's not trying to and it's trying to cover an area that's maybe not much covered uh if you can help with a one-time donation to help with the hosting um that like even if it's just a handful of you 10 or 20 dollars that'll help me defray the cost of hosting it's really not that expensive you know like like once you buy the microphone once you buy the you know, I've already got the computer uh, once, uh, so just if you can help me with the hosting right now, um, not looking for a ton of money, just whatever you can do would help. Okay, let's get back into the fun stuff. Since I've been out, you know, I haven't totally abandoned the podcast. I've read one or two more books on China that'll help cover the period between the end of the Taiping Rebellion and the 1911 revolution that brought down the Qing dynasty. Now I'm reading a book about the French go at having a Vietnam War in the early 1950s. Uh, I took some decisions for how to cover space between the end of the Taiping Rebellion and the end of the Qing dynasty. That'll be like 50 years of history. I sorted out how to work with the materials I have. This episode, let's talk about what it's going to look like between now and the 1911 revolution. Also, some of the other insights I've been having as I've taken this sort of enforced break. Uh, the Once we finish the uh, Taiping Rebellion, we're going to cover some things like Essential characters participating in the transition from empire to republic of China. 
the international context against which the 1911 revolution is defining itself, uh, defining the aspects of traditional Chinese culture and society that are going to change with the revolution, and try to we'll try to ident identify some of the universals that will carry on. One of the problems that comes up when I hear from, you know, some general listening public friends who give me feedback is that it's hard to follow Chinese history because people don't know much about it. They don't know Chinese geography, so it's it's just a flood of place names and in kind of limited knowledge of the historical context also limits their ability to get a grip on the story. The when you talk about European history, you know, people have images where they can kind of fit things in. They kind of know about the French Revolution and guillotines, and they kind of know about Napoleon. So they have some things that they can kind of hang some concepts on and kind of start to get the idea a little faster. Not so with China. So I'm going to try to work with that. Um... I'm going to try to not just tell a just kind of more and more of a story that nobody knows anything about the setting, nobody knows how it works. Um, I'm going to try to give bits and pieces that will be more readily understandable that help you get a uh, an idea of what's going on like it's easy to call uh, the the people's republic of china a totalitarian police state but if you don't know how it came to be that way you're not going to understand where it's going very well either uh, like it's if you don't understand where it's come from where it's come from you don't under you won't understand where it would go if the communist party did leave power what might happen next because china is very chinese which you know you, you go figure um and whatever China's future is, it's not going to be something that we're going to determine. It's something they're going to discover for themselves. So to get an idea of the future, we need to understand the past. Okay, let's... And um, so in... You know, so for example, in yet another episode of books I've only read part of influencing me more than books I've actually finished, um, understanding the role that communism played in Eastern nations rebuilding themselves to enter the contemporary world as modernized states. You know, communism gives nationalist movements an explanation for why their nation suffered under imperialism. Communism gives a vision for how to reconstitute the nation to be a modern state. Communism gives a vision for how to rebuild the economy to address the systemic issues that made the country weak to imperialism in the first place. Whereas 
you know, many in the West criticized the Communist Party of China for being an oppressive totalitarian force, they gave an answer to a problem that everyone could see. They got results. They successfully peddled a certain narrative about what's going on. And more or less, they defeated the opposition and took the mandate of heaven, as it were. They, they did that. Um, I'm reading the book Street Without Joy by Bernard Fall. It's about the uh, French go at having a Vietnam War. Not just wars they had in Vietnam, but fighting Vietnamese communists. The Vietnamese communists, are, they were organized fighters. They were fighting modern wars, conscious of modern conditions of warfare. Though many more of their soldiers died than those of the occupying French, they're using strategy and tactics with full knowledge of modern technology and using all of the advantages that they have against outside powers. Uh, they, they account for the losses, and, but they know that if things keep going in a certain way, they will win. Think of the stories about what American soldiers went through when we had a Vietnam War. Leeches, nasty walks through the jungle, enemy coming at them from anywhere, anytime, not sure who's the enemy, who's a friend, nasty tropical diseases. Well, the Vietnam, uh, the Vietnamese went through the same things, but without being able to rotate away from the battlefield with new recruits year by year. Amer the Americans, they brought in new troops every year. There'd be some who'd stay, but more would be rotated through. They went through the same things, and it just they just took it, or they broke down, or they just died. And it cost whatever it cost. Thousand people dead, thousand people dead. That's, that's it. They... So, if we... Like, it's, however appalling that may be, it's, they counted the cost, they did what it took, and they won, because they understood modern warfare, and they understood their own country. Um, we're having to consider the action, so with the, with the Chinese revolutions, we're having to consider the actions of a group of people who completely understand the modern world and how to win, but they have different resources to work with. So they're going to win one way or another, and, and all of the people who are going to die, that may be psychopathic indifference, it may be colossal incompetence, but they'll muddle through anyway, um, or it may be a heartfelt counting of the cost. And some of what I'm saying here, so I, I don't know who's listening to this around the world, so I want, I want to be very clear. Like, I'm thinking of some things like the Great Leap Forward or the Cultural Revolution in, uh, under Mao from 1950 to when he died in, I think it was 76, many, many people suffered and died. So, was that... 
so I'm going to try to be objective about the conditions and the difficulties that they had to push against. Um, we're also going to go through looking at the at China under Chiang Kai-shek and some of the problems that the Republican period of China, uh, some of why they weren't able to make progress, whereas the communists were able to settle the question of national sovereignty. Well, in the end, we are looking at what happened and why it happened the way that it did, not to find heroes and villains, but to understand. Um, one other dynamic I realized uh, was how destabilizing defeat in war can be. Like, like, so that even if you feel like you're not done, even if you feel like though you've lost, you're not done fighting, there's a certain point to where you have to accept what happened. Um, though by tradition, you have to give the victors a lot of what they ask for, and that's going to take everything you wish you could be saving up to spend on, you know, building up your country. Um, you know, the, the victors are just going to take things from you, but you still feel like you want to fight. Like the, the, there's just so many things going on that the, the victor's just taking things out of you, you not being able to regain momentum with your nation. Um, yeah, China was pretty well laid out. Uh, when the Western powers defeated China, they like yeah okay they they won they set up structures that would allow them to get the value out of China that they wanted. Um, but, you know, then when you bring in the revolution, or the various revolutionary movements, um, new generations that would understand the modern world would come along. Um, the Americans and the Europeans would be at the furthest end of having won. There wasn't much further they could go. Uh, China was at home, the only direction they could go was up. Okay, so th th that was a disjointed section. Uh, but defeat in war is very destabilizing. It reduces your ability to store up, build up, save up. It, it, But you don't feel like you're done. You know, you're only done when you win. And... I, so... So we'll uh, deal with that as we come up. Okay, one uh, one podcast I've been listening to is The Age of Napoleon by E.M. Rummage. It's very interesting. I've been learning more about the downstream changes in politics, society, and warfare from the French Revolution. Um, so there are changes in what it meant to be a nation. like And so... Napoleon removed so many impediments to change uh, that much of what came later can be linked directly to him. Like So the official dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire, well, that was a thousand-year 
old structure that had held certain European nations together in the Holy Roman Empire, well, once that went away, then it's a little closer to where some of the constituent nations of the Holy Roman Empire can start to insist on their own nationalism. A consolidation of the ideals of the French Revolution? The French Revolution was chaos. Uh, Napoleon helped solidify what was going to still be there going forward and not. He helped sort it out and codify it in law um, with the Napoleonic Civil Code, uh, which we'll talk about again in a moment here, uh, the advancement of modern statecraft, so a lot of modern bureaucracy, a lot of advancements of that uh, pushed under the Napoleonic government, uh, the unifications of Italy and Germany, there were a lot of things that Napoleon swept aside as he conquered. And so then when you have the Italian and German nationalists afterward, they have a lot less tradition and inertia to push against as they're going in to set up their things. The Napoleonic civil code is like, there are two very basic forms of law around the world. One is based on British common law but then the other is civil law, uh, based on the Napoleonic Code. It was um, a lot of the stuff of the French Revolution put into law. Um, not all of it was as revolutionary as the French Revolution, but uh, under Napoleon's direction, that was all put together. Uh, and then, of course, warfare, which is what Napoleon is most famous for, um, systematization of the insights from the French Revolutionary Wars, mass conscription, changes in who's recruited for military service, like so citizen soldiers, not just dregs of society put into fancy uniforms, uh, improved logistics and training. And, and kind of one of the ways that this podcast was inspiring was it's great to detail about a period of history you may be familiar with, and it's a much shorter time frame. So I am covering, shoot, um, another hundred years, um, more than a hundred years. So I'm going, so, so this break has been helpful for me to I look at other podcast, this other podcast, and adjust how I'm going to do it. So for us, the narrative may go back more toward uh, more modular episodes, like so two or three episodes on a topic, but I'll string together a bunch of topics that move the narrative forward, like so biographical episodes on people like Sun Yat-sen, Mao Zedong, uh, Zhou Anlai, for example the places some of these men and women traveled when we can bring up, oh yeah, like the, the Sung family, uh, like one of whom became Madame Chiang Kai-shek, um, Madame Chang, uh, wait, Madame Chiang Kai-shek? Well, I, I haven't done the, God, anyway, Madame Chang, there we go. She was quite the character. Okay. 
zo- will zoom in on foreign concession areas, uh, areas on the Chinese seaboard where foreign powers held sway. We'll look at the international context, what the Chinese revolutionaries are defining themselves against, uh, the in- and uh, things in the international context that are going to be inspiring Chinese revolutionaries. So we're going to get back into it. If this is going to be the four dummies approach. This is going to be to help people who understand not much to have a better beginning understanding. So talk to me through email, ChineseRevolutions at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Um, Share, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, if, again, if you'd like to help with uh, the web hosting renewal coming up, please go to buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast. Thanks for listening, and good to be back with you.